We were bringing together people, planet and purpose. I don't think we need to stop consuming. I just think we need to consume with more conscience. And we can't make impact if we don't make money. I literally got goosebumps. Welcome to Add to Cart, the podcast that Express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of e-commerce. Every month, Nathan Bush from 12 High and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, and I will be your host for today. I'm also the founder of e-commerce consultancy 12 High. Joining me on today's episode is Yasmin Grigalunas, who is the co-founder and the CEO of the world's biggest garage sale. Yaz joins me today to talk all things secondhand commerce. As you know, it's a huge trend encompassing all things reuse, recycling, and rentals. We cover all these things as well as how retailers can get involved, either as an offering or by partnering with others. But before we get into that, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has left a review or a rating, especially those that are five-star, on the App Store of their choice. It makes a huge difference for us. And some of the feedback's been fantastic. I especially love the review that came in and said that it feels like I'm taking guests out for a cup of coffee and then sharing the conversation in that coffee with all the listeners, which is exactly the feel that I'm going for. So, thank you. Um, And it's even better when I don't actually have to buy the coffee as well. There's also been some good feedback around episode four and the quality of the audio with Jason. Um, unfortunately, such great content, but the quality of the audio wasn't great. Uh, we're working on that and we, we'll make it better every time. What we did this time was is actually the first face-to-face interview and it was me sitting down with Yaz with, a, with an iPhone and two little mics. And I think you'll notice that the quality of the conversation is actually a little bit better. Because when you're sitting with someone having that conversation, it comes across and um, it's easier to, to have that conversation flow. So, love your feedback, love your re- reviews, keep them coming and enjoy this episode with Yasmin Grigalunas, otherwise known as Yazzy G for reasons that will become obvious. Let's get into it. Hello, Yaz. Hey, Nathan. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Hey, Yaz, before we get into today's episode around secondhand commerce, can you give us a little bit um, of an overview of world's biggest garage sale? Because you were on the secondhand bandwagon long before it became a trend. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, looking back now, I kind of think you, you're probably right. But look, it started back in 2013 and I had this crazy idea to um, solve a problem that actually wasn't anything to do with secondhand. It was called donor fatigue. And I was in a tri squad trying to raise money for cancer research at the time. And I could see that people were kind of rolling their eyes at the cupcakes I would continually bring to training or the brownies or the raffle tickets. And it was getting really tiring. And I wasn't the only person trying to raise money. And what I thought to myself is, oh, my gosh, if these people who kind of have money are getting sick of raising money and donating money to a great cause that we were all really passionate about, we need to find another way to raise money. And I thought, well, how do you raise money without asking people for money? And I thought, well, I have heaps of stuff at home. Why don't I sell all my dormant goods? The stuff tucked under my bed, in my cupboard, in my garage that I hadn't touched for years that I was really, at the time, I didn't know, but I was holding on to because I thought it was too good to leave in a charity bin. 
and I wasn't selling it because I was time poor. So I decided to hold a garage sale. I called it the world's biggest garage sale and all my friends and family donated their dormant goods to us. And before too long, my garage was so chock-a-block full, we couldn't hold the garage sale in the garage and we moved everything to a hall and 50 volunteers overnight set it up and we did $15,000 revenue the next day and I thought oh my gosh, we have to do this again and do it properly. And so just year after year, I would take a month off my job and build the project, hold a garage sale, raise the money, donate it to charity. Um, And the second year we did 60 grand. The third year we did almost 90 grand in a single day world's biggest garage sale. And I thought, hold on a minute, this is not about donor fatigue. Our customers were starting to ask us, would we donate to different charities, where the impact was going? We were bringing together what I call people, planet and purpose. People were caring about the community and wanting to make an impact. We were doing this amazing work in what we now know as a circular economy long before people were using the word circular economy. And we were seeing all this data, and and let me say visual data at the time, all this data of product going in and out and in and out and being reused and repurposed and reconditioned and re-commerced. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this this is a market. And we were making a new market, and we had no idea at the time what we were doing. Um, so I looked to the world and who was doing it well. And I happened to be in America for an unrelated show for my job at the time. And I came back after spending two weeks on an island where they'd been holding a yard sale for 58 years. And they just did it together as a group on a tiny little island. And when they raised $580,000 in a single day at their garage sale, I thought, this is an, in- this is a thing. So I came back, quit my job, no plan B, and started a company <laughs> called The World's Biggest Character. Star. And that was two years ago. And let me tell you, it's been a journey, but it's been, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's been incredible. It's been painful. It's been fun. Yep. But we really are innovators in this retail e-commerce space. And yep. we absolutely love the market that's building around us because globally it's exciting for not just the amount of money we can make for impact, but for the good we do for the environment. Yeah, and we'll get to that around how you originally started as a profit for purpose business, yeah, or not even. Yeah. And well, you've kind char- of, we were kind of a charity, almost a charity. Yeah. We were a bit of a charity. We were acting as a charity. We didn't know if we were going to be a charity. We didn't know where we sat yeah. in the market, but we knew that people cared and wanted to donate because yeah. it did good. But they wanted someone else to do the work for them. So we effectively sit almost as an agent in the middle of a big proprietary limited company and a big charity or small charities. And we sit in the middle and we basically do all the hard work that neither of those other two entities have the capacity to do. Yep. And, and I think you kind of said that you saw those trends happening, but they were, yeah. they may have been in the early stages around the globe, right? But they weren't being seen here. Cause I remember no. speaking to you. It would have been about two, two years ago. Yeah. Um, and you were saying those words then you were saying circular economy, dormant goods, re-commerce. They yeah. weren't common words no. here at that stage. Um, but since then, we've obviously seen an explosion in or in all things secondhand, so resale, rental, reuse. Yes. Um, and we've got companies like ThreadUp that are doing some incredible things globally. Mm. Some of their research most recently said that in 2023, resale is actually going to be a $51 billion industry, mm. which I is know. double of where it was at 2018. I right? know, I literally got goosebumps. <laughs> when you say that, it gives me goosebumps. 
because all they do is apparel. And I mean, they're brilliant. They're like a hero company for me. I've been watching them for many years. And look, back two years ago, they didn't use the word circular economy in their marketing either, which I love. People are evolving. Charities like Salvos and Vinnie's are now using those terms. I'm in love with the energy time, momentum, you know, um, and cause that people are now looking at this resale retail market, not as this dirty secondhand economy, like gone. Uh, and, and we hear it all the time, like the whole volunteer blue rinse brigade. When you go into a secondhand shop that smells like mothballs, it shouldn't be that way. Um, and, and, and I feel for our, our amazing charities doing that work who have been for years, making money out of resale in retail but finally right now we need to do this not only because it's good for the environment and good for the economy but it's actually good for people too and for me I feel like you know you see lots of stories around you know retail stores closing down bricks and mortar versus e-commerce omni-channel versus technology and innovation and at the end of the day we're all just trying to move forward to innovate in a space where we need clothing we need supplies we need materials Mm. i don't think we need to stop consuming i just think we need to consume with more conscience and you're right. I was banging on about it two years ago and I'll keep banging on about it. <laughs> Resale, retail, dormant goods, all these words. These are really investable organizations doing amazing work that isn't, and I said it to you before we started today, like you can't just log on to Alibaba and buy the goods and ship them in one big boat and go, here's what I've got. For us, when we get our shipments, we have no idea sometimes what we're getting. (laughs) It's like returns mixed with some new stuff mixed with some dodgy stuff mixed with some really valuable stuff. But it's not an inventory where we place an order on someone who can ship us the goods. It's the consumers and the companies that are saying, we want to make impact with our goods. We want to have a second life for products that we're manufacturing and we want to manufacture products that last longer. So for us, this is this is a wave that isn't going to stop. It's like you've just looked at retail and just gone, normal retail, it's just a bit easy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's make it really hard. Let's make it really hard, you know what? And it is really hard and I think I love it. I saw Cameron Douglas, who, who works in retail himself in a way, um, with Video Pro. He posted something the other day about resilience and grit on LinkedIn and I thought, oh, my God, I got goosebumps again. I... I love hard stuff. I love the pain and the difficulty of messy and challenging. And I never realized that until recently where I actually almost look for it because it's in that mess, that difficulty and that clutter and the noise that there is quite an opportunity. And we don't all see it. And all we sometimes see is that mess and what's on the surface. But if we go just dig a few layers deeper, like we've been doing for years, you start to unearth opportunity and you just then have to understand who the right people are to work with Mm -hmm. and to follow and to have advising you or mentoring you or guiding you. And as long as you don't screw that up, (laughs) then I think you can keep heading in the right direction. But look, um, you know, young people are driving this change. Uh, I have two kids who think it's normal to buy secondhand uniforms yet they're probably a little bit ahead of the curve most of their friends wouldn't buy secondhand uniforms but i think my kids are almost a generation ahead Mm -hmm. just because they live in a house where secondhand is normal and we don't see it as a dirty thing 
and they've been listening to Yazzie G. Yeah, they have. They've pretty much been listening to Yazzie G for the last six, well, 13 years for them. But look, definitely the last six or seven years. And and today my kids are out at a, a space. We have a, a small warehouse that we've got where we're taking um, return stock from a major retailer here in Australia. This return stock, we, we might get an inventory list of what it is. But again, we don't know what condition it's in. In fact, yesterday I saw we got a carton of um, glass water bottles and that stock can't be sold by that retailer because one of the glass water bottles inside had shattered. Now, our team will inspect that product, do quality assurance checks, make sure that the other 11 glass containers are actually saleable or repurposed, and then we will then make a decision on where's the best value chain for those goods to go. Mm. So for us, we really see ourselves in resource recovery in that retail space to then make money and impact from goods that already exist in the economy. And my kids live it, breathe it, see it, and hopefully they can start to influence their friends to do a little bit more secondhand uniform purchasing. Yep. So let's talk about that business model because when you started, you had a bit of a mixed model, um, but you are definitely um, an entrepreneur now. This is a money-making model with uh, purpose at its heart Mm. still. Yeah. can you talk us through some of the what how you actually make money yeah. out of secondhand <laughs> goods? And I'm lumping everything together here. Yeah. Obviously, you are secondhand goods. We can talk about rental. We can talk about yeah. reuse as well. I think it's all kind of coming around the similar trend or, or the same drivers behind it. But can you talk us around how you actually make money out of secondhand goods? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I guess the most binary and linear way is that we get stock donated to us. We sell that stock and we make some money from that. And then we decide from that money that we make. Um, obviously, we have costs of goods, like a, like a cost of our business, sorry. So operational costs, which we we kind of act like a charity in a way. We're very lean. We're a startup. I mean, <laughs> I think startups are even leaner than charities. <laughs> we have no choice. There's not a lot of money that flows. But we make sure that we run, you know, on the smell of an oily rag and then whatever profits we make, we make a commitment to always donate to charity. Like we exist as a business so that we can continue to fund organisations who are out there doing the grassroots work that we can't do as a business. I think everyone has their specialty area. And I'm, I listened to something the other day about... Um, broad versus deep and I've always been very broad I'm a specialist generalist like I can do anything reasonably well but don't ask me to do something and only one thing because I would get bored really quickly and it's why I could think at video pro my time there I changed jobs like four times in the company like just kept doing different things in the business and loving the different projects but and one of my projects was e-commerce back before e-commerce was e-commerce right at the start of that that trend here in this country and so for me I think I've had these little seeds planted around how we make money how we make impact and then how we intertwine the two and so I'm fiercely um, avoid calling myself a social entrepreneur because with the word social entrepreneur comes this feeling well usually I get a pat on the shoulder sometimes by people who think I'm just trying to do good you're such a saint you are such a good girl <laughs> now what's your husband do no, often that happens um but but more importantly um I am fiercely um professional and want to do really mm. good sustainable work and when Mm. I say sustainable it has to actually last Mm. not sustainable as in the environment which we do as a no-brainer but sustainable as in a long-lasting Mm. business and we can't make impact if we don't make money so our first few garage sales we literally made all this money gave 100% of the money away 
Now that was okay while I had a full-time job that paid me lots of money and I could go back to that for 11 months a year. But when you're a startup founder and you don't pay yourself an income and you're working out your business model and you're going, hold on a minute, we can't raise all this money through e-commerce retail, sell the product, give it away and not keep any to Mm. put our oxygen masks on ourselves. Mm. It's like in the aeroplane. If you don't save your own life, you can't save someone else's. So we've taken a very oxygen mask approach. We have to save our own life and feed our own families, Mm. create jobs. And therefore, when we do that and do that well, with a fierce commitment to purpose, we will make more money Mm. in the long run to be able to fund charitable causes than we will if we just give it all away at the start. So we have to retain um, operational revenue within our company to make impact. Um, But we are absolutely fiercely committed, kind of like who gives a crap and other charities, um, other, sorry, impact organisations to donate money to causes that are impactful. So right now um, our cause is Good360. We're donating money to them on our current projects that we're working on. And the reason for that is they're supplying quality goods to the right communities in the bushfire relief and it means the right people are getting the right thing at the right time. But that's separate to the business, right? The business has to make money for you to be able to do that. Well, if we don't make money, I have no money to give to Good360. So, yes, we acquire goods usually through donation um, from consumers and retailers and businesses and what we're acquiring is the stuff that people don't want the return stock, the stuff, the dormant goods in your home, the office furniture that's getting thrown away because we're getting new stuff. Like this happens. It's just in everyday life. And, you know, I I liken it back to the first time we ever acquired our first um, donation of corporate product back in 2015 before we were a company. And Brisbane Airport Corporation were going to throw out and they, they had to. I mean, where could they send them? They had all this furniture from the international airport. It was all going to go and skip in um and of course they wouldn't do that now like we're all so much more aware of the value of that product but at the time we were aware of the value so we went and rescued it we spent money we invested in trucks to get them we got someone to pick them up and we paid delivery trucks to pick it up for us we sold that for 20 grand um it cost us five grand to pick up so we were able to make $15,000, let's call it profit, but at the time our model was we gave it all away. So we gave that fifteen grand away. Um, so you've got double-ended last mile fulfilment. Yes, yeah, <laughs> d- absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, we definitely do. But look, we took a problem away from BAC. Hmm. They then knew that 500 pieces of furniture got resold and repurposed and not ended up in landfill. It's a great story for them. Yep. We made money. We made a donation to charity. We've just tweaked that now so that when we make money, we actually make money for our business first, pay our staff, ensure that we can actually operate as a company, and then we do it with a view that we can scale the model. So when we're selling all this return stock and dormant goods, we know a portion of the value of the sale is actually going to an impact cause that people are passionate about in the community and that's where our benefit is because in Sydney it might be a different cause to Melbourne might be a different cause to Brisbane might be a different cause to Perth might be a different cause to Mount Isa might be a different cause we do what's called global we have a global vision for impact but we want to impact financially the local causes that are important to the community because then the community wants to give you your stuff their stuff yep and it's like this circular yep. motion of emotion in yep. a way. So people can let go of their nice stuff, donate it to us. We facilitate the sale. We ensure we 
keep the oxygen on our team. They can do more work when they've got oxygen. But we're noticing now that we're seeing people like Alison and other charities um, furnish homes, supply people with goods that they wouldn't have otherwise mm. had. Um, we've funded prosthetic limbs for a young girl who had sepsis mm. and almost lost her life. Like So for us, the gift of giving that product goes far beyond the gift of giving it to us. Yep. We just do all the dirty, messy, hard work <laughs> in between because we're addicted to pain and we love well, the hard you're almost, stuff. You're almost double the effort of a normal retail model, right? Yes. Because you've got to source the product differently. It's not just like you can place one purchase order and it'll arrive on your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> and arrive new and perfect <laughs> yeah, and in a box right. that you can inspect and send out the same day. We but, can't do that. But there is obviously a really strong business model there. There's a yeah. there's that fantastic video from Scott Galloway yeah. um, around the real real. And mm. as you know, he comes down hard on anyone who has a business model that's not sustainable and yeah. he is all about the real real. It has Loves to be. It. Yeah, oh, I love it. And the real real is, again, a, a pin-up child of what this is all about. We can make money, and but we can never make impact if we're not able to fuel ourselves first and I think you know I've seen um Dan Pallotta did a great TED talk once and he is fiercely he was um leading a charity doing raising hundreds of millions of dollars doing all these amazing initiatives funding incredible projects and then he got pretty much bullied because he was spending money on marketing now marketing is really crucial you can't grow a brand if you're not good at marketing you might have the best product in the world but if you don't know how to actually tell people about it and bring a story around it and create that that vision you can't sell it so dan was investing some of the charity funds that they were raising into marketing so that they could raise more funds for charity um and one of their big sponsors pulled out and were like basically um taking him down for the fact that he was investing money into marketing now for me you have to market your business or no one knows about you. And marketing costs money. And so I really feel like another future market disruptor or market maker, I feel like this Dan Pallotta, the real, real, like we've got to talk about sustainable businesses. Mm. We have to fuel ourselves. We have to make money. Let us make money and then watch the impact we can make when we make the money. And that impact can multiply the longer we're in business. And it's like that hockey stick curve that every startup wants to be. Our hockey stick curve just goes flattish for a little bit longer. We just have a weirder shape of hockey stick because we're trying to create new markets. I wish people could see you trying to <laughs> describe the, the hockey sticks with your hands. But I know, I'm it, very totally, it totally makes sense. But I know it makes sense yeah. and I know it will make money. You know what I said the other day? It won't happen faster, but we will go farther mm. and we will. Mm. It's endurance. Yeah. It's it's absolutely an ultra marathon on top of an ultra marathon on top of an ultra marathon. Yeah. But if anyone's ever done a marathon, a 5K race, anything like that, in an ultra marathon level, even a marathon or a half marathon, if you don't take fuel with you or get fuel on the way of that 21K, 42K, 100K race, you will bonk, Mm. you will die, Mm. and you actually will collapse and you won't be able to survive. So we just need some fuel along the way, and that fuel has to be that we've got to make money. Yep. So I love the Real Reels philosophy around that. One of the most common queries that I get from e-commerce retailers is about platforms. Usually, they're ready to change platforms because their old platform is no longer supported, able to scale to what they're aiming for, or meeting their ever-evolving customer needs. 
Inevitably, a follow-up question is, what do you think of Shopify Plus? There's no doubt that Shopify Plus is a leading e-commerce platform. It is agile, cloud-based, and customer-centric. But it has to be right for your business. To help understand if it is right for your business, Shopify Plus have created a re-platforming guide to help you choose your next, and hopefully last, platform. Go to shopifyplus.promo forward slash commerce guide to download the guide today. Thanks again to Shopify Plus for being great partners of Add to Cart. We really appreciate it. Now back to the show. Just to tie up that business conversation, tell me about the channels that you sell through. We talked about the garage sales, so yeah, the events, so the big yeah. warehouse events. Yeah. What other channels are you actually transacting to customers through? Well, we're kind of like, um, I drew a big model the other day and it had a big love heart in the middle. And then all of these um, like little clouds around it of what we do to try and visually explain to somebody what the world's biggest garage sale do. So the world's biggest garage sale effectively harvest goods. And we harvest goods from anywhere that has dormant, underutilised resources. We take on that problem ourselves or that opportunity we see. And then we decide where the goods go to make money or impact and ideally both is the utopia. So, of course, garage sale events, people love them. 10,000 people, 20,000 people come and shop in a day. It's a frenzy. It gets the community involved. It's epic. But it's a once-a-year kind of echo day. You wouldn't do this every single day. It would break everybody around you. Our other opportunities are we do re-commerce, of course. So we have online and we do that in a variety of ways. We are really evolving in this area ourselves. And while we've dabbled in things like eBay, Gumtree, we've now got our own store, online store on our website. We haven't got a lot of products on there, but what we're now starting to do is... Um, identify opportunity products that we can put into that secondhand market that are often either new, near new, or in high quantities. And we then um, re-commerce those. Um, and that then also pushes through to your online channels. So again, eBay, Gumtree, Facebook Marketplace, and even Amazon. So um, for us, we really um, broad around our re-commerce platform and we do generate revenue on our e-commerce, re-commerce platform. Um, other things are our pop-up shops and they're epic. We did a pop-up shop with designer shoes for 12 weeks in as a retail pop-up in the Winter Garden in Brisbane, which was amazing. Um, and we sold 2,000 pairs of shoes that would otherwise have sat in a warehouse underutilised. We've got a project at the moment where we have a... Um, product that's been donated to us. We have 1.3 million of them that were actually, we thought they were plastic waste and they're not. They're actually biodegradable material, but they're brand new and they're still usable. Um, and for us, these were going to end up, three three tonne of product were going to end up in the skip bin wow. and in landfill. And so we've re- re-rescued that, um, resource recovered that product, brought it into our business and our team because this is what we're good at. Um, we're good at working out where the value of that product is. Is it in resale in the retail space? Is it re-commerce? Is it recycle, which is kind of one of our last options? Is it um, renew where could someone strip this product down and make it something else? So on my water bottle, I have a little key ring that's been made out of e-waste. So that product is actually the inside of a computer or an electronic product that that would have been eventually thrown into landfill. But we work with organisations where we recover the e-waste, we donate the e-waste, the e-waste then becomes a new product. And that Renew product is actually where I see a big opportunity Mm. for other retailers and new entrepreneurs to start to make products 
out of old materials. So we definitely sell in pop-up shops and we also um, we also activate Renew products mm-hmm. and that for us is really exciting. We see plastic going to um, people and turning into pellets again and these are often the opportunities for us. Like we make a little bit of money on each of those journeys and some journeys we actually don't make as much money as the person that we're giving it to or selling it to. Mm. And for us, that's just part of our role in the business to help ensure that there's a flow in the economy around this secondhand product. And look, these um, 1.3 million um, pods they are may actually end up being purchased by a pod packer who's able to buy them for a, a portion, a small portion of what they would have cost, that they will make mm. more money in their business because of the work we do. Um, and look, I'm going to introduce a really crazy word, Nathan, that I um, tend to like to do. I, I should really start a dictionary. Um, but last year I had to pitch about circular economy. And what I've realised is there's a, there's a lot of talk and, and there has been a lot of talk. And, and what we are really good at is we are really good at doing. Like, one of my team members called me a tunnel boring machine because we get the we get the hard stuff like you got to break through the ground and this is what this market is with the tunnel borers have been breaking through the ground and we're all being underground doing our thing finding new ways and more efficiencies around resale retail this whole new market we've been making all the tunnels so we've seen at the coal face what we need to do mm. Then there's people who are on the surface who kind of talk about it and it sounds really good and it's really exciting and we jump on the bandwagon and, oh, my God, it's really cool. Let's do more of this. And thus t- us tunnel borers, we're still in there trying to make new yeah. markets and work out how to, you know, make it yeah. more efficient. Um, and so what we call it, what we called it, we get often asked to advise and support and guide and I've seen the real real and thread up and others do the same thing. We've called it consulting. So instead of consulting, our company calls it consulting. And the reason we call it consulting is because we actually don't just tell you what to do, like we've done with this pod guy. Like he's like, oh my God, I got these pods. I'm going to throw them in the bin. I'm like, oh my God, don't throw them in the bin. So we've consulted with them on let us solve the problem for you. So we've solved the problem. We've now be able to ensure that they don't go to landfill. So they're going to look amazing. They're going to have this great story. And, and together, resale, retail, re-commerce, resource recovery, all these wonderful things. But our company, in a consultative way, do the hard work. And we just have to make sure that we're clipping the ticket when we're doing that and not giving away our IP yeah. and our knowledge and our capacity and, and our capabilities for free, for free. Yeah. because we can't. I mean, Nathan, we won't survive and this market won't grow if people like us are not getting paid for the work that mm. we do. So that's probably been the most interesting journey of all is like you see that we can get a product in, sell the product, make money mm. and then mm. survive and make impact. That's fantastic. But we have to be able to do it at scale. And to do it at scale, we need to work with big organisations who are prepared to partner with us or investors who are prepared to fund us and, and just like a normal startup, get the capital in, like the Real Real, Thread Up and others have mm. done, who early innovative investors see the opportunity. Mm. They feel and sense that the market's moving. And we're really shifting this market in a space where it's collaborative, consultative, and this co-opetition approach it really does embed success for all because it's not us versus them. 
it's how do we work together. And we've definitely seen that in the US, right? So big traditional retailers like Macy's, Banana Republic, I think Gap, um, they've all partnered with others to do secondhand commerce or rental. Yes. Um, I love it. Again, (laughs) And even here in Australia, we've seen Country Country Road. Country Road, yeah. Yeah, do rental. And and they haven't even gone rental on old stuff. It's actually their new range that they're starting to do rental on, which is amazing, right? So your tunnel bearing is probably very, very, very close here in Australia to popping up. So my question to you is... If you're in traditional retail, yeah. how do you know if your customers and your business is ready to venture into mm-hmm. that secondhand market? That's a really good question. I feel like with the knowledge we have from the tunnel boring we've done, the market is ready. I feel like um, there's there needs to be a very strategic approach um, and it's different for everybody. Like one retailer could try one thing and another do something else and it'd have to be different. Like IKEA are buying back their products from customers who bring it back in and then selling it on the floor for the same price they paid for it. It's brilliant. IKEA furniture is really hard to move. So it's hard for me to go and take my big bookcase to IKEA for me to then go buy another bookcase. But there's other ways of doing it. That's one way. And I see that, that IKEA have been market makers in this space as well. One thing IKEA don't do well in Australia is they don't toot their own horn. They are so amazing from a sustainability perspective and I challenge anybody who knows anything about retail to go and read the backstory of IKEA. They're almost they're one of the darlings of sustainability. It's just really largely untold. And they're doing these little projects around circular economy here, but I feel like they're doing what we do and they're doing this testing iterating how do we do it what does it look like and for me the way to do that most successfully is in partnership you know we talk about diversity and I used to work for and I mean no offense because I love I've got amazing mentors and I've had amazing mentors for 20 years but they have all been stale male pale right (laughs) all the boards I've worked for most of the time along the way have all been white men And I always look at it going, oh, my God, is this not glaringly obvious? You need some diversity. And I don't just mean women. I mean diversity. Let's get them out of the 50-plus age bracket and get some youth, get some, you know, like a fantasy board. Mm -hmm. For me, my fantasy board exists of someone young in their 20s, someone older in their 60s, bringing wisdom and youth together to create this messy conversation in Mm. the middle where we as a company can grow and learn. For me, this is what I see for transition for traditional retail coming into circular as well. Let's shake it up with a bit of diversity. Mm. A big retailer, and let's, like Country Road are doing it, but let's just use them as a brand of example if they weren't doing it. Country Road and bigger brands like that can work with organisations in that startup ecosystem, thread up, real, real, us, others, to partner and bring together traditional knowledge and wisdom of retail with innovative, agile mess and exploration of yep. startup. And when you bring those two together, cool, yep. everyone makes more money, everyone makes more impact everyone actually exist cohesively in that beautiful co-opetition space i you know it's it's utopia for me i feel like collaboration is the key to success in resale retail for 2020 and beyond and look the sustainable development goals we haven't even talked about 
you know, globally, we've got 10 years left to really bed down, knuckle down, get some actual execution on these goals. And when I talked before about the talk, if retail, and we're starting to see it a little bit, we're starting to see sustainable development goals now feature on some websites. I saw the West Farmers um, report and they talk about and yep. reference SDGs. The iconic report's the great. The iconic report is brilliant. So when you see big retailers talking about SDGs and how they can do things, I feel like organisations like ours and that innovative startup mentality is an accelerant. So I just would love to see a little bit more cohesiveness and partnership around how big retail can shift and do more around resale re-commerce by working with businesses like ours and others who are the the shapeshifters almost in a way in this economy. So, you know, it, it's it's hard. Secondhand isn't easy. Like I said, we can't just go to... Um, and I'll say China, Bangladesh, mm. somewhere. We can't just go, I want 10,000 of these. It doesn't work that way. Yep. But slow down to speed up yep. is the philosophy that we need in resale retail. And we've got to do it together. It's not an I at all. Yep. It's a we. Yes, I love it. And thank you for um, sharing your knowledge. You're um, definitely a pioneer in this area for, for Australia um, and you were on it well before it became trendy. So um, I think what you're doing is fantastic and, and the knowledge that you've shared today is just awesome. So if people want to contact you to learn more, um, to partner, to invest, to how whatever they are after, I can think of no better person <laughs> to speak to about the secondhand economy. How do they find you and speak to you? Oh, look, um, we're all over socials. We were really fortunate. We actually won brand of the year for Queensland last year. So we must be doing something right <laughs> in the marketing space. But look, you know, um, I'm a firm believer that the voice that you see out there on my own social channels is my voice. And um, I'm also a bit traditional in that I will respond to all messages. So, um, look, reach out on our website. It's It's got a, a ton of information, although we are doing some redevelopment on that. I think our website um, hasn't evolved as fast as our business has. <laughs> I think a lot of companies are in the same position there. Don't talk about websites. Yeah, no, no, I'm going right. to the 12 website, please. Yeah, no. Yeah. So, um, look, jump online, um, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of those channels. Please reach out. My name's Yaz or Yasmin. You'll find me there. Grigalunas is really tough to spell, but I'm sure you'll put my name on this podcast. And if you Google And we're that, actually changing Yaz's name to Yaz, Yazzy V Yazzy, after Gary yeah. V. <laughs> <laughs> well, my husband does call me Yazzie G because, you know, it's easier than Yaz Grigalunas. But, look, I, my staff, when I get a bit McRanty or, or really super passionate, they call me Yazzie G. And the reason for it is, like, I am quite authentic and vulnerable at the same time. But, look, I love – we love talking to people. We don't have all the answers, Nathan, and that's probably one of the biggest things. Like, for me, I would put that question back to you. Anyone listening to this today, if you – have something to add if you think that you can contribute in some way knowledge one thing it is is not all about um we all have an abundance in something some of us have an abundance in knowledge others have an abundance in you know wisdom others have an abundance in enthusiasm and some have an abundance in money and and a business needs all of those things so for me i think if anyone can contribute anything to us and to help us move and continue to move this market where we're really developing some incredible products both um, on technology platforms and without technology because sometimes you just can't build tech to do product logistics. 
get in touch with us. Reach out, Google my name, um, go to our website, jump on Facebook, send us a message, do something, but don't just sit there because for me, you know, like 1% of the world will actually do things when they get new information or when there seems to be an opportunity in front of them or when they have that intuitive, what I call heart feeling. If your heart and your gut are connected and you can feel something in the heart and then you do nothing, you lose an opportunity. So pick up the phone, reach out to us, um, get in touch with Nathan, um, or even just go and start a conversation with someone else you've been inspired to speak to from our conversation today. Yes, that's awesome. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So there you go. Did you catch all of Yaz's lingo? I really think she should write that dictionary. Yaz is definitely a pioneer here in Australia for secondhand commerce, and I love her passion for secondhand goods. But more than that, I love that she sees the writing on the wall and her ability to take that passion and that insight and turn it into a business that can make a real difference in the world. I hope from today's episode that you got some ideas for your business, either in how you can offer a service or partner with others to take advantage of that trend and to make a real impact in the world as well. There's a huge, huge market coming for secondhand goods, and it's one I'm keeping a very, very close eye on. Now, if you like e-commerce news, trends, and insights, you might want to sign up for 12 Highs e-commerce newsletter, High Mail. Every month, we release our This Month in e-commerce newsletter, which brings together all the all the stories that you need to know of what happened last month in e-commerce, and I'll tell you what, a hell of a lot happens in a month. Last month in January, the most clicked article was around the bushfires, but it wasn't the type of article that you think. It was actually from a company who created a bushfire relief dildo that they sold and raised 15k worth of funds from. That was our most clicked article from our readers. That's not my choice. That was the reader's choice. And it says more about our readers than it says about me. There was some other great stuff in there, including some great e-commerce fulfillment white papers looking at what fulfillment might look like in 2030, as well as Google's most recent acquisition, which helps in-store retailers take their product online really effortlessly. So some great stuff in there. Sign up at 12high12high.com.au forward slash highmail, H-I-G-H-M-A-I-L, or just Google it. And it is free to sign up, leave your email, and we'll get it out to you each month. That's it from me. We'll be back with Episode 7 in about a month's time. See you then. See you then.